influence is not something you have. Power is not something you have. It's something you do. It's a verb. And once you understand that and that it's not about you, it's about how you can create the conditions for agreement among people to go in a certain direction. It's just a much more literally humble, not attitudinally humble, but literally actionally humble and recognizing you need to influence others and it isn't going to be about you at the front of the room. There are opportunities for our work and careers everywhere, if you know where to look. That's easier said than done, especially in our fast-paced and constantly changing world. Marianne Fairmouth is talking to experts, employers, and job seekers to bring you insight and understanding about what's possible. This is Career Can Do, where we're navigating the new work world. Welcome to the Career Can Do podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you navigate the new work world. My name is Marianne Fairmouth. I'm an executive recruiter multi-genre author, nationally syndicated columnist, and speaker. And today I am just delighted to have a guest on my show that is really making a difference in the new work world and beyond. This individual is a social change strategist. And Rachel Bello is also the co-founder of Bonfire, a transformational immersive talent development and a recognition program for Cutley's highest potential women. She's advised some of America's most prominent leaders in business, philanthropy, sports, academic America, and even for such organizations as the Center, U.S. America Center in Paris. I am just thrilled to have a woman on our show that has the breadth of experience this person does. And after that incredibly long introduction, and without further ado, help me welcome Rachel Bello. Rachel Salem, everybody. Hey, everybody. And Marianne, I want you to please send that introduction to my mother, who has never understood what the heck I do. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's been sort of looking like a gerbil's walkabout. My career has been very circuitous, but I love the way you made sense of it all. Oh. I think these days, having that kind of experience is what it takes to be yep. successful because I think all of us that are navigators in this changing, complex new world we're in, the more background we have like that, the better we can help others. So I'm thrilled to have you on the show. Rachel, you've done so many wonderful things. And what I love about what you do among you know many areas, but you do what you do to help others, but you also do what you do to help others help others. So in other words, let's make ourselves the best version of ourselves we can, but then let's take it and help somebody else. But let's talk about the work world here for a change. And when you think about the future of work in America, where do you focus and why? You know, there's so much conversation now about the future of work, which is kind of an amorphous thing. But the way we think about it at Bonfire, which really comes from the way my co-founder, Suzanne Mushin, and I have always thought about work. We've been business partners for 25 years. The future of work is going to be more human. And that is a result of pressures that are generational, they're cultural, 
And they are the function that changes the function of more women in the workforce because women naturally want to integrate. I don't use work-life balance as a phrase. It's not about balancing. It's about integration. It's about saying, when I'm at work, I want to be the same person that I am at home. I want the same values to be enacted. I want to embody the same feelings about myself and my team that I do at home with my family and my community. That integration is going to change work from a current paradigm, which was built for men and by men. No blame. If women had been in charge, we would have built it for women by women, but we didn't. And now you have all of these different forces entering the workforce, and they are demanding a paradigm shift that is going to upend all kinds of cultural assumptions about how work works for everyone. Amen, amen, amen. All right. I talk so much about the human element, and I think that's what we're talking about in a way here. Let's expand on this a little bit, Rachel. Why do you think culture change is so needed? I know you kind of alluded to it earlier about generational changes and sectors, differences and all that, but give us your opinion of why you think this culture change or this mindset is so necessary, this new mindset. It's funny. Jack Welch is not a CEO that I am in the habit of quoting, but very, very profound and I think eternally true on this. He said, when the culture outside the company is changing faster than the culture inside the company, the end is near. And what is happening right now is that the culture outside the company, our definitions of gender, our understanding of social justice, our understanding of what work is for, the whole what Eddie Turner talks about, the emphasis on purposeful work in a previous great podcast of yours. All of those issues which are so prominent, so salient in the outside culture, those are not taking root fast enough in the inside of the company. And it's a scary moment because the culture outside the company is changing so fast and companies are not designed to be that nimble, but they have to shift because if not, as Jack Welch says, the end is near. Something will break. I agree with you. And I, I see it. I see it breaking. Company leaders calling me just beside themselves because there's such a disconnect. The generational sectors that we have now are, you know, of a different mindset. What are they complaining about? Marianne, when they call you, like, what's the primary complaint that you hear right now? Well, I think the biggest complaint I'm hearing is about the talent shortage. We can't find people. But I also think that I'm hearing them complain that they can't find people that check all the boxes of their job descriptions, and they're not really ready to change their demands on filling their jobs. In other words, exactly. they want every single box checked. And that's just not And not only that, but those boxes are antiquated. I mean, I think the whole mantra about talent shortage, we need to take a page from the fashion industry. You know, there's a saying, an old saying in the fashion industry that is shop your closet, which is you need to look at the talent you have and ask yourself whether you are engaging and leveraging and optimizing that talent to the extent that you can, 
instead of looking outside going, hey, we can't get the talent, we can't get the talent. Oh, I love that. I'm going to use that one, Rachel. Shop Shop your closet. Yeah. And I think it's also, let's revise these boxes, okay? Absolutely. Let's revise these job descriptions, these job, you know, I just had a conversation today and the client agreed with me about why don't we look at a less experienced person that's bright, that has shown talent, that has shown good experience that's transferable. It's not necessarily exact. They don't maybe have the five to seven years that you have on your job description. Maybe they have two to three years or one to two years, but they really have demonstrated in their backgrounds what kind of person this is that's going to come into our organization and that we can mold. Absolutely. And what a human way. I mean, talk about human. Isn't that the way you or I as human beings would staff our homes, our whatever we would be in charge of as human beings? We wouldn't adhere to what is known in the industry as a calibration model, talent calibration model, which is how we recruit, reward and promote talent. Deloitte is on record. PepsiCo is on record saying that the talent calibration system they have is a hundred years old. It is broken. That nine box, you know, whatever they consider high potential and how they decide on what constitutes that is so rigid. And as you say, it's just not imaginative and nimble and human. And I will say some of my best placement, some of my most long-lasting placements are those candidates that did not have all the boxes checked. I have one in particular I'm thinking about now. I placed him 14 years ago. He didn't have every single thing on the job description, but he had the raw talent to mold. So how did you convince the company to take him? Well, I told them that he had demonstrated to me and some other jobs that he was in alignment with what this company was all about. And more than that, he had a desire and a passion to really actualize his interests. And this company was going to allow him to do that. And he just had, you know, he was always captain of the baseball team. He got a full scholarship for baseball. Whatever he did, he always rose to the top. Right. And I, I think what we're talking about here is the disproportionate value of full engagement. And you can't box that. I remember my ex-husband was for many years in publishing as an executive, and he was told early in his career that the only surefire measure of whether a book will become a bestseller or not, because it's such a crapshoot, is how passionate the editor is for their own book, because that's a kind of energy that they will put behind their product that you cannot buy. And if you can convince, if you're someone out there in the job market and you don't check all the boxes, and by the way, Marianne, think about the great moments in our own careers. They were never the ones where we checked all the boxes. They were the ones, right, where we were like, I'm going to take a gamble on this and I'm going to pray they see how passionate I am about that. So if you're out there in the job market and you don't check all the boxes, if you demonstrate passion for this, and you can look your employer in the eye and say, I will kick this out of the park. I want to. And you believe that in yourself. Boy, that is 
gold. That leads me to another question. You you have this organization called Bonfire, where you really prepare mid-level women for the C-suite or for bigger and better things. Yeah. Rachel, in these changing and challenging times, how do you do that? How do you get companies to help you work with these women to prepare them for bigger and better things? What we talk about with companies really is the problem of engagement. I mean, they know because the data show, McKinsey's Women in the Workplace study, both the 20 and the 21 and the 2022 study all showed the data around women as follows. They are far more engaged than men in their own jobs, in their own teams. They take on the well-being of their teams far more than comparable male managers. They take on the DEI agenda when it's not even their job. They are what Bonfire calls super engagers. And yet, they report far less satisfaction, far less trust and sense of camaraderie in their jobs. They are burned out and they feel unappreciated. That is a very dangerous combination to have your super engagers having so much capacity for engagement and yet feeling underappreciated and unseen and undervalued. That is a time bomb. And we see that time bomb going off in what's called the broken rung of the pipeline when women get to be about 11, 12 years into their career, they start leaving the pipeline. There's a leak in the pipeline. So what we say to them is, let us have these women for six months. They don't literally come to us for six months, but they're very, very heavily involved in our program for six months, and they devote a lot of time. And what we do during that time is surprisingly, compared to other skill development programs, we work from the inside out. We start with a module that is two months called Claim Your Voice, and it really is where do your values come from? Are you carrying the water of your parents? Are you carrying the expectations of your family of origin? Or are you enacting your own purpose in this world, your own values? So we get them to see themselves and their capacity. We talk to them about how to claim their expertise because women do not claim their expertise the way men do. We talk about how to develop a point of view. In the end, Marianne, What we're doing by the end of that six months is helping women show up, stand out, and then break through because the last module is all about influence. And for me personally, since I teach the whole influence module, that's the name of the game. How do you get what matters to you to matter to others? How do you get what matters in the world to matter to other people? That influence is the power to do something in this world. And boy, do women understand influence. No, I think that's powerful. I think that's very powerful. But now it leads me to another question. How do you, though, work with the leaders of these companies to explain to them how important a process like this is for the success and growth and the bottom line of their companies? I mean, a lot of people are still set in their ways. A lot of management people not all of them, but there's a good bit of them out there that are, that think, you know, I've been doing it this way for so long, and that's the way I've always been to doing it, and we're going to continue to do it that way. But when it's not working, (laughs) 
You know, yep. and you, you got turnover and you got unhappy people and it's affecting the bottom line. But what I'm seeing is some of the people that I deal with, the hiring people, they don't want to look at doing it a different way. So how do you convince them to do that? Well, you put your finger on the hardest part of our sales cycle. You know, there are a couple of elements to this. First of all, whenever we're making a sale in the back of our minds, we know they're thinking, who do I need to fire to hire you guys? And they are bristling with L&D, learning and development programs with abysmal retention rates, not a whole lot to show for it. They're kind of learning and development and executive leadership programs have become kind of commodified in the market. That is, they're interchangeable. They're all teaching how to network, how to manage your teams, basic skill development. We really look very distinctive, so it kind of catches them off guard. Our branding is very in your face, very much about women in power. So it doesn't look like a kind of boring executive leadership skill development. So we catch their attention. But here's the other thing, Marianne. A lot of the people we're selling to in HR, they're women. And they hear when we start talking, they go, oh, in their minds, they're thinking. And some of them had said to us, I wish you were around when I was early in my career. I really wish you were around. And the message that women are the natural architects of change in the workplace, they know that change is necessary. They know change is necessary. The question is, are you the ones to deliver it? And it's not that expensive. It's not that huge an investment. And the results are, we have very, very good data to show what happens to these women? They come, they are on fire, but they are on fire when they leave our program because a lot of what we do is about community and creating this cohort where they get to meet other people from other industries globally. And they are really on fire when they come back to their companies. That's just so powerful. And I think that's just great that someone is out there doing what you're doing because it's so necessary. The other thing, though, I would say, to give men a little bit of, of an applause here too, okay, is that what I see is that the people that I'm dealing with or that I place that come back to me after so many years tell me that they had this really tough manager. He was difficult to deal with, but it's about the relationship, all right? It's about how I know that you've got this really big, you know, your boss has given you this really big quota to fill. And I know that you really got the gun to your head and I want to be here to help you get to where we need to go. Yes, it's about making people, women feel good about who they are. But at the same time, I think another powerful thing in the workplace that I'm seeing is how do we cultivate those relationships to make them more positive? Absolutely. And our tagline is all rise. And it's there for a reason because, I mean, look, our number one champion is Greg Brown, who's the CEO of Motorola. And they were our first client big, and they've been with us from the beginning in greater and greater number. And what they recognize is what we recognize, which is women, we're not doing this just for other women. This is to make the workplace work for everyone. I like that. And I'm all about that. And I think that's what you just said right there. It's powerful because it's not, I am woman, watch me grow, or I'm woman, hey. watch me roar. It's about, <laughs> I am woman, and I have a set of skills that I can bring to you that are going to help us collectively together make this company more profitable, make this company a fun place to work, make this exactly. one where people want to come to. So I agree with that. Now, I have a question too, and this kind of 
goes into what we're talking about. How has your definition of leadership changed or evolved over time? I mean, what do you think it means to be a leader now? I mean, before it was, this is what you do, this is how I want you to do it. They don't work anymore. I mean, even in me personally, my understanding, like when I started out, I thought leadership, because this is all I saw ahead of me, I thought leadership was basically grabbing the mic and holding the room and being at the front of the pack and inspiring them, okay? And while that's part of it, my understanding of leadership has shifted from inspiration to influence. My understanding of influence, which is the result of really an 18-month study that I, I sort of took a leave of absence and looked at the nature of influence all over the world and how, what the strategies of influence are. Influence is not something you have. Power is not something you have. It's something you do. It's a verb. And once you understand that and that it's not about you, it's about how you can create the conditions for agreement among people to go in a certain direction. It's just a much more literally humble, not attitudinally humble, but literally actionally humble and recognizing you need to influence others and it isn't going to be about you at the front of the room. So my whole definition of influence has shifted from having the answers to asking the right questions and to getting teams to help one another get to where they need to go. It's that mindset of working together for the benefit of all, that yep. I have a certain skill set, you have a certain skill set. If we merge these, how can we have a bigger and better platform going forward? And helping people understand who they are and how they can matter in the world, that's the biggest outcome of leadership I can think of. You're right. I think that it all starts with that self becoming, as you said, your own best architect, all right, and becoming your own self so you can contribute but it's got to start with you. My greatest hope is if you can gain the emotional maturity before you're too old to exercise it, then you can win. <laughs> oh, I agree. I agree. All right. Well, we're getting near the end here. And I think this has been wonderful. And I think you've given our listeners so much powerful, positive, good information that they can chew on and learn from and think about. I think this is great, Rachel. And I'm just so thrilled that I've had the chance to have you on the show. But I always like to leave the listeners with maybe a couple really salient tips. So if you were to give our listeners two really strong tips that would be beneficial to them about how they can go forward in a way that's much more productive, that's much more fulfilling, that's much more beneficial to all, what would those two tips be from your good work and experience? The tip I always give to, you know, I have two daughters in their early 30s, late 20s, early 30s, and their friends come to me for career advice. And it's the same advice I give to people at inflection points in their career is rather than try to map out from your head what you think your career should be and what the steps should be, the most reliable compass you have is your own curiosity. So I ask the following three questions. What do you want to learn more about? What do you find yourself Googling and learning more about when you're getting paid to learn about something else? What do you want to learn more about? Who do you want to learn that from? What kinds of people do you get jazzed by? Do you like hanging out with? 
do you want to learn from? Because everybody's got their own taste in the tribe that they feel they belong in. And then finally, what kinds of physical environments do you want to learn that in? Some people hate the medical, they don't want to ever be in hospitals. Some people can't be in corporate environments. Some people want to be in arts, kind of funky, creative places. That matters. Those three questions cannot steer you wrong. Oh, I think those are wonderful. Okay, so for our listeners out there, if a company is just really struggling to become better, to have a better harmonious work environment, or if a candidate's out there and she feels stuck, how can these people get a hold of you so that you can work with them and help them move to a better place? If companies feel as if their culture is stuck or they have a problem with women not advancing in the way that they want, either one of those, bonfirewomen.com. We will talk to you, help you select a group of women. You can even pilot test a group of women with us for a six-month cohort, put them in the cohort and see the magic that happens. If you're a woman, an individual woman, what you need to do, go to bonfire.com, look at the program. If it appeals and you want to be part of a cohort, a powerful cohort, go to your manager and ask whether there's any kind of program in your company that could get you into Bonfire. They're doing that at BMO right now, banking. Just yesterday, we learned there are lots of women who are saying, hey, we want to become part of Bonfire. They go to their managers and the managers ask and they can create a cohort. All right. Well, I am just so thrilled to know Rachel Bellow. I think she's doing some amazing things. I think she's a wonderful human being. She has a heart of gold. She cares about others. She's really out there doing what this new culture shift needs. And I highly recommend her. And Rachel, the next time I'm in the Big Apple, I'll play it soon. And I'm it's going to be martinis for us. Martinis for us. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> this is Career Gen Do. I'm Marianne Fairman. Thank you, Marianne. See you all next time. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you, Marianne. We thank you for tuning in to our Career Can Do podcast. We make no guarantees on results for your particular quest, but we hope you enjoy the information presented. The views and opinions expressed in this program are solely that of the guest or speaker and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of Marianne Fairmouth and Fairmouth and Company. Thank you.